Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. I want you to uh, just turn to your neighbors, share a smile. It's really good to be together, and I am in such a good mood on Sundays now because I get to be with all of you. Uh, it's really, really good to be a church in person. If you are joining us at home, welcome. We're really glad you're able to be with us through technology. Um, we are praying that God will hasten the day when we could all be together. And when you're ready, please come and be with us again. I'm so grateful for God's provision of this place. And it's a, uh, it's a thing that I never thought could happen. We just reached out to them on a whim, and now, many months later, here we are. So I, I, let's not take this for granted. It's a, it's a sign of God's favor over us, of his kindness towards us. And let's maximize this opportunity we have. Jen, I wish we could give you an hour. I was really challenged and moved by what you shared with us. And I, as I reflect back on your story, I'm so thankful that you've continued to touch the life of our church over the years by your life example. And I'm really, really grateful. Um, this morning, and I, I've been warned by Sue not to go too long because it, the, the children get restless, so I will keep it moving. I want to press on in our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And I want to ask you to do a little experiment with me. Think back, just think back carefully to your... We're talking about the Lord's Prayer, so rightfully we should be thinking about our own prayer lives during this whole series. Think back to the last, I don't know, month of your prayers. Focus especially on things you've asked God to provide. So just take a minute and think about that. Some of the the prayer requests you've brought to God, God, please, and then fill in the blank. You got it? You got a list of some of those things you've been asking God? I wonder how many of us in that list of things we ask God to provide, ask God to make sure we have food to eat the following day. Anyone? Yeah, probably not. In this room, my guess is very few of us are dying from lack of bread. Probably we're dying slowly from too much bread, but not lack of it. And you know, we call petitions or requests supplication. That's a technical term for when we ask God for something. And in Matthew 6.11, in this next part of the Lord's Prayer, what we're getting is the first time we're actually requesting something I'm not sure. There we go. We're, we're requesting something directly for us. Until now, we've been ex- exalting God, giving God glory, praying that he would have dominion over all of the earth as he does in heaven. But now for the first time in this prayer, we're asking that God would give us something. And the thing we're asking for is bread. And by bread, I think it, most scholars will agree, and I, I, I believe this too, that it's more than just bread. It could be rice, it could be, but it's also more than just food. It's everything we need for physical survival and well-being, for the sustaining of our bodies and our lives. And God is teaching us to pray to him for this. And so he begins by saying, give us this day our daily bread. And I always felt weird praying that as an American because I don't really have an issue with not having enough bread. It felt like just a formality to pray this, you know, God, uh, blah, blah, blah. Give us this day our daily bread. I haven't worried about food since seminary. 
The only time in my life I ever experienced food insecurity was as a seminary student, and I literally did not know where my next meal was coming from some of those days. But since then, I have had an abundance of food. Amen? You guys too? And so it's weird to pray this prayer as an American because, you know, the, the Food and Drug Administration, think about this. Uh, we have a $72 billion weight loss industry in this country. Just pause and think about that. If we had spent $72 billion feeding hungry people, we would put a serious dent in global hunger, but we spend $72 billion working off the too much food we ate ourselves. According to the CDC, more than 42% of American adults qualify as obese. And so in a country like that, where we are dying from overabundance of bread, it's a really weird place to start in the Lord's Prayer, asking things of God, give us this day our daily bread. So I want to unpack this prayer because we can still pray it. It still has deep meaning for us, but we've got to understand what it is we're asking God. We start with this idea of give, give us. The minute you ask anyone, give me, give us, we're put in the position of dependence, of receiving something. We're reminded that what we're asking for, we don't have the power to just get. We have to ask because it's not in our means to just go out and procure it. It's what children live through all the time. Have you ever thought about, most of us are way past childhood, but I've been thinking back to my childhood memories, how confining and frustrating it was sometimes to be such a dependent creature. Everything, I, I, had, I had enough ambition and enough appetite to be an adult, but I had no money, no freedom, no agency, so I was dependent on my parents for everything. If I had my way, I'd be a great America every day as a kid. I'd have chocolate for breakfast, ice cream for lunch. Think about everything I'd want to do, and yet I was limited and dependent on my parents for just about everything. When I was a kid, I loved bacon. I didn't taste bacon until actually rather late in my childhood, mainly because when we were younger, my dad was a medical resident, so we were broke. I mean, like, we were really broke. My mom sewed our clothing. I went to school as an elementary school student in homemade clothing, and so when we finally got to taste bacon, I was like, what is this magic that I, I've been deprived of? And I liked it so much, but because we were broke, we could only afford two slices each whenever we had it. My kids have no idea what that's like. They, they just, and then after they're done eating bacon, there's a plate still of leftovers. I treasured bacon, and I remember thinking to myself as a kid, this is such a distinct memory, when I grow up and get paid, I'm going to fill my bathtub with bacon and just sit in it and just eat that was a visual I carried through my childhood, a bathtub full of bacon. And I just, <laughs> you know, it's so frustrating being dependent on someone else for provision, being limited by what they're willing to give you. And so I learned early on, I think it's important to get stuff for yourself, to not have to wait for people to give you anything. I also learned another lesson when I got to high school. We were supposed to have gym uniforms. In those days, kids actually sweated and did sports in gym class. My kids, are, I'm told, don't even sweat in gym. I don't know what they're doing. But we had to have uniforms. And if you ever forgot your uniform after you brought it home to wash, at least at Libertyville High School, they were trying to incentivize you to remember. So here's the way they did it. There was a loner uniform. 
and it was an XXL purple shirt and an XXL green shorts. So there's no mistake. You can't hide when you come out looking like the Incredible Hulk. Right? I mean, purple shirt, green shorts, and they're all extra. And I, I was 125 pounds in high school. So I had to tie up the shorts. It was just ridiculous. And here's the other thing. There was only one loner in the whole gym class. So I had eighth period gym. And on the few occasions where I missed bringing my own, they gave me the loner and it was so soaking wet, I kid you not, I could wring it out and sweat would come onto the floor. That was not a good experience. They were trying to teach me to be responsible. I certainly learned that, but I learned another lesson. What people have to give you sucks compared to what you can get for yourself. It's always better to provide for yourself because when you're dependent on what others give you, you get what you get. That was bred into me very early as a virtue and, and as a, a practice in my life. Take care of yourself. Because if you have to depend on other people, you won't like what it feels like and you won't like what's in your hand most of the time. So self-reliance is for me something that was bred into me at a really young age, probably for you as well. So it's weird then to pray as an adult who is well-resourced that God would give me something which every day I have no trouble going out and getting for myself. The reason I'm not hungry is because I got money. Thank you, all of you, for being faithful to God. I eat because you obey the Lord. And because I don't have to worry about my next meal, I don't really feel the weight of that need to depend on God for bread. And I learned, again, through that gym class, that if I have to depend on someone, they'll usually give me less or worse than what I would give myself. I suspect that this aversion to depending on others extends even to our relationship with God. I think one of the reasons we have a hard time praying, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Anything you ask, I'll do. That's one of the most dangerous but freeing prayers we could ever lift up. If you really ever just mean it in your heart, God will answer that prayer. If you ever come before God and honestly say, anything you want, I'm just here to serve you, He will tell you, over time, what he wants. But it's terrifying to ask it because if we're really honest, there's this lingering fear in the depths of our hearts that what God would give us would not be as good as what I would give me. The life I have planned, the lifestyle I want, is very different than what I suspect the Lord would give me if I really open my arms, my hands to him. I'm reminded of something Jesus said, and these are familiar words, but really hear the heart of this because this is not a lesson, it's the revelation of God's heart for us. Jesus said, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? If they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? How much of the compromises and the bad choices we make in life are because we are afraid that God won't give us anything good, so we just take what we can get? We learn to rely on ourselves because we suspect that God is like everyone else. When you ask Him, He'll give you what He's got 
the leftovers, the loose change in his pocket. He will never give us anything good. I want to challenge that fear by saying that our God is a good father. And I know this because he said, if I could be a good father, why on earth would I ever suspect that God wouldn't be? We just had fathers, so I'm going to ask dads, raise your hand if you're a good dad. Not a perfect dad, but a good dad. Because yeah, your wife's probably sitting next to you saying, yeah, put your hand down. But if we could be good fathers, why would we suspect that God can't, that he isn't? So we're asking God to give, and that immediately puts us in the posture of God. I'm asking you for something because I'm your child, and you're my father, and I depend on you. Notice also that Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. As Christ followers, it should be our regular commitment to pray for those who don't have enough. I've known people, Christians that I admire, I wish I did this better from an honest place, but I've known Christians who every time they sat to eat would pray, God, we remember those who have less. and We ask that you would provide for them. So if the hungry, I know for a fact that the hungry are praying for themselves, because when you're hungry, you pray. Doesn't matter what, how religious you are. When you're hungry, you just pray. Give me something to eat. And I know that we're praying for the hungry. So the question that remains is, if so many people are praying for the hungry to eat, why do so many hungry people continue to go without? By one estimate, something like 25,000 people are dying every day from hunger around the world. How do we explain that? So many people praying that God would feed the hungry, and yet the hungry still die hungry. The Food and Drug Administration estimates that 30 to 40% of the American food supply is wasted every year. And by wasted, we mean it just ends up in the garbage. It's, it goes to landfill. That happens at the production level very heavily, but 31% of that food waste happens in homes and retail settings. And we know that because we've watched our children ask for an extra large fry and throw almost all of them away, and we're absolutely mad about the money part of it, but we should be horrified at the incredible waste of a valuable resource that that represents. And when I see how comfortable we are letting our children, don't force feed them, don't make them finish, just let them throw it away. What are we teaching our children when it's that casual to throw away food, which for another person is a matter of survival and ongoing life? The amount of food we throw away, they estimate could fill seven football stadiums every year from the ground up to the top of the bleachers. That's a giant bowl, one stadium. Look at this. This is not even a football stadium. This is small. Picture this filled with food to the rafters seven times. That's what we're throwing away every year. That's about 219 pounds a person. Something like 22% of our landfill mass is wasted food. I don't think the point and people have mocked me. I'm like, you know, we should think about hunger. Well, what am I supposed to do? You know, when someone's about to throw away half their hamburger, I'm like, you know, there's hungry people. And they're like, what do you want from me? Should I mail this to Africa? And like, they're being facetious, I know. But the point is not to try to mail your leftovers to another country. It's that we have so much to eat, we throw half of it away. And doesn't that point to how well we take care of ourselves, but how little we concretely think about those who have nothing to eat?
And the point here is this. This is not just a prayer request. It is also a prayer of commitment that God, if I don't need the answer to this prayer, someone else does. So when we pray, give us this day. I want you to think about this picture because I thought about this. It actually cracked me up and then it made me actually a little emotional. Picture sitting next to someone starving to death. And you lay your hands on them and say, God, give us this day our daily bread. This brother too, just give us this day our daily bread. And then I say, amen. And I tuck into my meal. And he's just sitting there watching. I'm like, man, this is good. I am so full. I'm going to throw away half of this. And he's just looking at me. If he could sit next to me at the same table, think about what you would feel. Just think about it for a minute. I've prayed, give us this day. And I've shared nothing with him. And he is starving while I throw away my leftovers. I find in my house that half the time when we bring home leftovers from a restaurant, it's just a way of transporting it, transporting garbage. I'll throw it away later. Because <laughs> I get it home, I'm like, gross. I don't want to eat that. That's yesterday's food. Listen to what Basil of Caesarea once said. He wrote this. Basil was a man who lived around 330 B.C., and on, or 330 AD and on, he was born to a very wealthy merchant family in Greece. And he was troubled by the mismatch between his family's lifestyle and the faith that was growing in his heart. And he wrote some really provocative words. He said, if one takes another's clothing, he is a thief. Why should we give any other name to one who is able to clothe the naked and refuses to do so? The bread that you hoard belongs to the poor. The cape that you hide in your trunk belongs to the naked. The shoes that rot in your home belonged to those who have no shoes. It's a pretty leftist comment, isn't it? And if we're honest as Americans, did you feel a little twinge of irritation at his words? A little offendedness, maybe a little resentment. I mean, it's like, what are you saying? That Because I have like 20 shirts that I'm stealing from a poor person who has none. His words are meant to be provocative. And they're not overstated. I think the reason they offend us and irritate us a little is because if we're very honest about it, we believe that everything we have that belongs to us legitimately was gotten by our own hard work by our good choices, by our wisdom with financial stewardship. Everything I got, I know I work for because I work all the time. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, that's the equation. What's mine is mine because I got it. And if I really believe that in my heart, I will resent a comment like this that says, you're telling me that what I worked hard for to amass from my own family, I'm stealing from another person who has none? That's preposterous. But if we really believe that what we have was given to us, not gotten by us, but given to us, do you see the difference between your hand gestures when you go and get stuff versus when you go and, and receive stuff? It changes what you think that is. If I get it, it's mine. I don't have to share it with anyone I don't want to. If I'm given it and I've had more than enough, then God is giving me a signal don't hoard it. Don't let it go to, go to waste. Share it. The point is not that we should become destitute so other people can live. I love what Paul wrote so fair-mindedly in 2 Corinthians 8. 
Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. I think what he's really saying is this. You never know, moving forward in time, which side of the enough equation you'll be on. Right now, it's likely you have more than enough. There may come a day when you have less than enough. And if we build a culture and a lifestyle of a commitment to sharing because everything we have, we have received from the hand of God, then among us, where as far as we can reach, no one will starve to death. No one will die naked, hungry, cold. As far as we are able, we can share. When we pray also, give us our daily bread, and we're not the ones in need. One of the implications is we're not just praying for the poor, we're praying with the poor. They're part of what we call us. That's another way of saying in our communities of faith, there should be mixed in among all of us those who have not, so that when we pray give all of us, that should include people who simply don't have enough to eat. You know, a lot has been said in the last year about the way that race divides our country. And it's true. We are a racially divided country. But I think just as much, maybe even more than racial division, is socioeconomic division. The truth in America is that plenty of people have friends who are not their skin color, but very few of us have real friends who make a lot less than we do or who make a lot more than we do. The ones who make a lot more than we do, we curry favor because we like being around them. We like getting the droppings from their table. But the truth is, most haves hang out with other haves. They don't really become friends with have-nots. We'll do charitable things for them. But the challenge of this prayer and its use of pronouns is to say, give us that these who need food are a part of me, my community, my us. Not us praying for them, but us including them. And that's a challenge to our church, not to become socioeconomically narrow. We could have 10 people from every people group on earth, but we're all middle class, professionally educated people. I don't know that that creates a diverse church. And it's important for us that we seek out real relationships with people who are in a radically different place of resourcing than we are. I'm not saying any of this to rebuke us. I'm really asking that you would open your heart to the implications of what Jesus taught us to pray here. He also teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. This day and daily, right? What he's really saying is this idea of the slippery word, enough. He's teaching us to pray for enough and to be content when enough is given. And enough is one of the hardest words, the slipperiest ideas to lay hold of in human life. Would you agree? I mean, what's enough for you and what's enough for me are already probably pretty different. But enough is not an objective word. It's not a concrete word. It's entirely a subjective word, isn't it? And what Jesus is trying to do is to say, let's take this subjective idea and try to make it more concrete. What is enough? Is it when your heart is content 
when your identity is satisfied, when your worth is measured publicly and visibly, or is enough when you've been able to have enough to stay alive and have well-being. In Exodus 16, a wonderful story is told that when Israel was grumbling and hungry in their wilderness wandering, God provided the stuff called manna that just fell out of the sky. Do you know the literal translation of manna in Hebrew is, what is it? Because this stuff just fell out of the sky. And like, what is it? Somebody decided to grab it and go, we, we could eat this. And so they began to eat it. All right? And here's the important part of it is God said, here, I'm going to cover the earth with it, literally. Everywhere you look, the ground will be covered with layers of this stuff, but you can only gather enough to feed you and your family that day. You've got to trust me that tomorrow, you'll wake up and it'll be on the ground again. But if you try to hoard it, if you try to put more than one day's portion aside, that leftover portion will rot, and in the morning you will find maggots sitting in it. You want, to, you want to secure your food supply for tomorrow, but God is your security, not what's on the ground, not what's in your jars. And so what God has challenged them through this really visual, experiential story is, I will give you enough every day, but you can't trust what you put away in a jar. You trust me, and my promise to you, you will always have enough. And what I love about Exodus 16, 18, it says, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little because they gathered based on the need of their family, the size of their people. And everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. It covered the ground. So here's the, here's the lesson here. The, fault, the problem, the fault was not with God. God supplied enough food in the system the issue is how it was distributed, how it was gathered or stored or shared. Here's the, po- here's the point. God has put enough food on this planet for everyone to eat. The problem doesn't lie with God's provision of enough food. The problem lies with the fact that 40% of our food gets thrown into the dump. That's the problem. It is not a supply problem. It is a sharing problem. It's a distribution problem. Hunger exists in the world not because God was unfaithful to humanity, but because humanity was unfaithful to God and to one another. That's how we repair this. That's how we begin to answer the prayer that we're lifting. God will use us to solve some of this. You know, the uncertainty of the future, I understand why it would give us the impulse to hoard things away. I go to Costco just like you. I have one rear end, and 96 rolls of toilet paper in my home. You know why? Because COVID taught me, you don't want to run out of that stuff. I have toilet paper insecurity. I understand that uncertainty about the future drives us to want to make sure we have enough, not for today, but also for tomorrow. But hoarding is just the physical evidence of worry. God told us, don't worry. Not because the uncertainty of the future doesn't make us worry, but because the future also includes a certain God. I don't know what will happen, but I know who will be there with me. That's where our confidence comes from. And if we leave that hoarding impulse unchecked, it won't just be an expression of worry. It will eventually ferment into something like greed and selfishness.
I will hoard more than I need, completely oblivious to the fact that others need what I have because I really just don't care about them. They're not me. They're not my people. That's on them. That's their problem. I've taken care of those I'm responsible for, and that's true. Most of us, I think all of us, do a really good job of caring for our people, our church, our family, our neighbors, ourselves. We do that. What Jesus, through this prayer, is doing for us is expanding the circle of those for whom we're responsible, especially as followers of Jesus. The writer of Proverbs defined this idea of enough. He said, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. I believe it's this proverb that prompted that choice of words in the Lord's Prayer. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Now, there's spiritual risk in both having not enough and having more than enough. But there's a lot of physical risk if you're poor and hungry and needy. But there's a great deal of spiritual risk if you're more than full. If you have more than enough, the spiritual risk is that you will declare independence from God rather than living in dependence upon God. Do you hear that? God is calling us to live in dependence upon Him. We're always trying to live independent of Him. And the danger of having more than enough is that we realize the main reason we're drawn to God is because we need something. And when we have that something, it's hard to feel the keen, keenness of that need of God because we have really defined our relationship with God based on not having something and wanting something and asking God to give it to us. And when we already have laid hold of it, it dulls the urgency with which we turn to God. Let me bring this to a close. What we're praying for in the end then is for bread. And bread is a reminder to us that no matter how vital we feel in our spirit, how alive we feel inside, I've got enough ambition, enough dreams, enough vitality in my spirit, I think, to live 20 lifetimes. When I read novels about immortality, I'm like, I could do that. I could live a thousand years and fill it with interesting stuff. I really feel like I could because there's this Dave Lee in my spirit that like, I, 80 years is not enough. It's criminal that I get such a short time here. That spirit is alive, but yet here's the frustration, the reality is it's encased in this, in this horrible thing of meat that is so fallible, so weak, so limited. And even though bread will keep me alive, it won't keep me alive forever. I pray for bread, and the bread keeps this meat case alive while that spirit tries to journey through the world, but eventually this thing will fail. Bread is good. Bread keeps us alive. But it's not all that we need because there is this thing in us that is so much more than this thing that we live inside. Yes, my body is me, it's part of me, but it's not all of me. Do you see that? Do you, re do you agree with me? Just give me something. <laughs> give me something. Yes, that's right. This is us. We are our bodies, but we are so much more. I think that's why terminal illness is such a tragedy because in that moment, I feel like I have so much more living and my body is quitting on me. How frustrating that is. So Jesus teaches us that yes, you pray to God for bread. But in his ministry... He taught us to pray for something more. He revealed who he is. 
In John 6, one of the most important chapters in Scripture, Jesus makes this revelation. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He acknowledges the love of God in that manna, but he says that was nothing. That was a day's worth of creaturely survival. But there is a bread, a true bread from heaven, which keeps that spirit alive, that eternal, giant, bigger-than-your-body spirit that lives inside each one of us. That spirit is fed by the true bread from heaven. And three times in that passage, in that one chapter, Jesus says, guess what? I am that true bread of life. I'm the one. Pray for food, but pray more for the true bread that makes your spirit alive. You know, full belly can dull our spiritual appetite. That's the real danger of having too much. That desperation, that hunger for God, it's really hard to feel it when you're so comfortable. It could even lead us to stop seeking the true bread of life. I believe it's possible to be the picture of bodily, physical flourishing. On the outside, to have the life that everyone else envies, to have the house, the body, the children, the job that everyone else wishes they had. For some, that is their life mission, is to develop the perfect life here on earth. But I believe it's possible to have that physical perfection and flourishing and yet find in your spirit that you are malnourished and emaciated. That the body is well cared for, but the true you, the self that lives inside, is dying of malnourishment because we've eaten our fill of physical bread and have fasted for decades from the true bread of life. Listen, Today's the 4th of July. Every one of us is probably going to go from here and engage in some gluttony today. Amen? And I don't think that dishonors God that we should have times of feasting. He instituted that himself. Celebration and feasting is good. But we're not meant to feast three times a day, every day, all our lives. To become so accustomed to feasting that it's our entitlement. He teaches us that we are part of a whole world that he loves. That we learn no matter how hard we work, how much we earn, our, our lives are, dependent, are fully dependent on a God who loves us and provides for us. That's a hard thing to learn when you're well paid, but we have to learn it. And one of the ways we learn it is by sharing with and living in community with those who don't have anything of what we have. To be reminded in our friendship with them, our care for them, that this is the God we all worship and this is who we all truly are. My fate might be different on earth, but before God, we're all the same. And so we pray, give all of us this day our daily bread. God, commit me to be one who shares beyond what is enough for me. To sting my conscience when I'm callous toward those who have nothing. 
when I hoard more than I need, when I will die with millions in the bank, closet full of clothes, a pantry full of food. Sting my conscience so that I will live more as a response to this prayer I lift up. Give us this day our daily bread. And above all things, let's all of us pray, starting with ourselves. Give us the bread of life. Make my inner being come alive and flourish because of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.